morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. Uh, He is also 100% true humanity, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world. He is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home believe in Jesus Christ. We are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. And just as we would do with any person we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of his word. And you can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind. And the Bible is his exact thinking. And Barah Ministries makes a difference by teaching the word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Because how God thinks about things is dramatically different than how we think about things. And so we search the scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person, to learn what our God has to say about himself, about his plan for all mankind, and about his personal plan for you. We are here to learn how to live life from his perspective. Today's Bible lesson, are you a child in an adult body? Are you a child in an adult body? Well, the members of the Corinthian church were children in adult bodies. And God's intention should be obvious to us by simply looking at the physical growth part of his plan for us. We go from being children to being teenagers to being adults. So God expects us to grow up. But many of us never do, especially spiritually. We may grow up physically, But we are children inside, never really becoming adults. That's the hardest thing to deal with when you're dealing with other people. You look at the person, you see an adult. But inside, they are little kids. They are stuck in the younger part of their life, and they haven't matured. The hardest thing for me as a parent was realizing that the one, and I didn't realize it until probably five years after they were gone, is the one thing you can't teach your kids is maturity. They get mature by living life. But, you know, as much as I thought I was imparting maturity to them, I was not. And so they're going through that period of their lives right now where they are very immature at 31 and 29. Amen? (laughs) So if you have kids that are younger than that, you know, heaven help you. So... The question I have for you is, are you growing up? When people look at you, they see adults. But are they really looking at a child in an adult's body? Are you growing up? Deacon Denny has small children and can certainly attest to what he sees regularly with his children. Divisions and rivalry. That's mine. Give me that. No, I won't share. With children... We see the deeds of the flesh running rampant. Galatians chapter 5, 
verses, verses 19 to 21 say this. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality. What is that? Fornication, which is premarital sex, and adultery. Sex with someone who is not your spouse. Impurity. What is that? Unclean thoughts. Sensuality. Galatians 5.20. Idolatry and witchcraft. What is that? Worship of evil powers. Relationship sins like enmities, which is fighting, division, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Galatians 5.21, and envying all things which create breakdowns in human relationships. Alcohol-related sins like drunkenness and carousing, and carousing, the Greek word for carousing is orgies. You get drunk, and then you have an orgy. And that was rampant in Corinth in the first century. And things like these, of which I, Paul, forewarn you, just as I, Paul, have forewarned you before, that those who practice such things as a lifestyle, and who practices those things as a lifestyle? Unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? They won't go to heaven. Where will they go? The lake of fire. Why do they go there? Because they didn't believe in Christ, not because of sins. So, as our children grow to become teenagers and adults, we hope they grow to avoid this conduct that is powered by the kingdom of death and darkness. The kingdom of death and darkness is the sponsor of selfish impulses. Think about it. The adults that we know that our children inside are just like children, completely self-absorbed, completely selfish. And that is not fantastic for relationships. Well, God wants us to be led instead by the direction of God the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I, Paul, say, walk by the guidance of God the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to walk? It means have a lifestyle that is guided by God the Holy Spirit, and you cannot carry out the desires of the flesh. So there are the two things. You're either led by the Spirit or led by your selfish impulses. And as believers in Christ, as we grow spiritually, as we take in the Word of God on a consistent basis, what we start to see is God the Holy Spirit changing us, not you changing yourself. If you're being honest, you have to admit that you have never been successful in changing yourself spiritually, but you will, you will simultaneously admit that God is changing you all the time. I am so different as a man today than I was 30 years ago, because 30 years ago, I was absolutely positive that I could change anything, affect anything, do anything, and now I am absolutely clear that I can't do a thing, and that everything that has happened to me in my lifetime has been at the direction of God, that he is the one who has been amazing at bringing into my life all of the circumstances and all of the mental changes that have me at the point now where at 30 I loved fighting, and today I don't want to fight. I have turned fully into Rodney King. Why can't we all just get along? I just want to get along. I don't want to fight with anybody. I did not do that. The Holy Spirit did that. Well, in today's lesson, the Apostle Paul has a message for the Corinthian church as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians. He wants them to grow up. 
and to build their lives on a firm foundation. And what is that firm foundation? The gospel message, the good news concerning what Jesus Christ did for every one of us at the cross, then being led by God the Holy Spirit, and then next, following true teachers. And this is how I want to be measured. I want to be measured in your eyes as to whether I am a true teacher. And those of you who have been studying with me for a long time, you know that when we first started studying together, I was teaching false stuff. And when I discovered that, I told you that that's what I was doing. And I changed. I did not let my ego get in the way. Now, some of the stuff was true, but a lot of the stuff was false. That is no longer the case. The stuff that I'm teaching now is coming straight out of the Bible, and it's not coming from men who are telling lies that I then learn and repeat to you. Amen? And that's what you have to watch for. You, you cannot relax as a congregation member here. You have to always be doing exactly what I'm doing. I am looking for the lie in the Bible. I'm looking for the lie because as soon as I see it, I got free Sundays, free Saturdays and Sundays. Amen? And I haven't found one yet. You found a lie in me, but not in that. And you need to be doing the exact same thing as you inspect my teaching. Does my teaching take you here? If my teaching doesn't take you here to the Bible, then my teaching is off base. And you must go find a teacher who is teaching you scripture. When you go to a lesson with a teacher, you got to ask yourself, how soon do they go here? How fast do they go to the Bible? I went to a Christmas service it took them 45 minutes to get to a Bible verse. What were we doing? We had, here's a concert. You know, here's a funny, funny story. Here's a, you know, a cute little message. All human viewpoint, but nothing about what God has to say about stuff. That's what we need to care about. So in today's lesson, we'll see what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church about that. Well, let's hear some music. Now that you believers in Christ have spent your faith to be saved by the Lord, and now that he has provided you with a so great salvation, do you have confidence in him to provide everything else? Romans 8.31 asks you that. Do you know that if, if God the Father sent his son for you, that he's going to pay your rent? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, the Lord says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds in the world, maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice. That's a third-class condition, if in the Greek. If, and you might or you might not, you have a choice. You will say to this mountain, which is any obstacle, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What does that mean? That you're going to walk up to Mount Everest and tell it to move and it's going to move? No. It's, it, it's an analogy. That anything that you're facing in your life that you don't have the human strength to deal with requires supernatural effort. That's why we pray. And God will move that obstacle for you. Have faith. 
because the Lord provides. Well, Mercy Me, the group Mercy Me, sings about his provision in their song, Even If. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for your perfect provisions for our growth. We pray you open our spiritual eyes to all the resources you're providing and that you give us the courage to act in faith on the things that you're expecting us to do. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, are you a child in an adult body? Are you a child in an adult body? Well, the Corinthian believers were. How do we know? Divisions and rivalries. The deeds of the flesh were present among them. And we continue our study of the third passage of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which extends from chapter 1, verse 10 to chapter 4, verse 21. I went back this morning and looked at all the titles of the 15 lessons that we've done on Corinthians. And I separated them into three categories. I I separated them into what we were saying about Satan's influence on divisions and rivalries. I I wrote out what we do and what we need to think about and then what God does for us. Now, you can imagine which column was the longest. The longest column was what God does for us. The shortest column was Satan. And then the next column was us. Because we have to look at our enemy. But it's even more important to know what it is that God's doing for us. And, you know, I can sum up what God's doing in your life in one word. Everything. That's why we start with that. (laughs) That's that's why we start with that song. Everything. Because he's doing everything. And we want to help. He doesn't need our help. He needs us to just say yes to what he wants to do for us. And then our life becomes amazing. And so the Corinthian believers didn't think that way. So everything for them was all about, I'm better than you. I know more than you. And even outside of this chapter 1, verse 10, to chapter 4, verse 21, all the way up into chapter 11, when it gets to the Lord's Supper part of this letter, he's talking about divisions and rivalries because these guys have lost their mind. So I went back also and read the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians to remind me of the things that we've learned so far. And this week I'll send you Uh, Everything that we've learned from the verse point of view, from chapter 1 all the way through 317, which we'll cover today. And I think that before you come to the next lesson, you need to read that and just remind yourself of all the things that we've learned so that you don't lose the context of this passage, because it's a long one. The Apostle Paul is addressing problems in in the first century church in a city called Corinth. Corinth is the Las Vegas of the ancient world. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was that kind of city where people went to cut loose so that nobody could know about it. And that resulted in them engaging in childlike behavior. It's sort of like what happens when the parents are gone and the kids have the run of the house. They turn into little babies and they want to go because they don't have any restraint. So... The, what, how, how that childish behavior manifested itself is in divisions and rivalries. So let's listen to this next part of the passage, 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and then let's study what Paul has to say to the church verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, the first part. And so I, Paul, brethren, now remember, he's talking to believers in Christ. And so when he's talking to believers in Christ, early on in the lesson, remember I said saints sin. Believers in Christ are saints, not sinners. And saints continue to sin after they become believers in Christ. But the truth is that sin is not an issue in our lives. Because all of our sins, past, present, and future, were paid for by Christ at the cross. Now, from the human perspective, we want to look at our sins and take out a rubber hose and beat ourselves. Oh, my God, I can't believe I sin. Well, if you don't believe you sin, then you don't know yourself very well. And God left in you this thing called the flesh, and that's what sins, the flesh. And so you need to know that you are not more powerful than your flesh, and you will never be more powerful than your flesh. But the good news for you is that the spirit indwelling you is more powerful than the flesh, but your your unfortunate reality is that for all of your life, the flesh is setting itself against the spirit, and the spirit is setting itself against the flesh. For these two are in opposition to each other, but we already know who wins. And it's not who wins, it's who won in the past with the result that the victory is forever. You have the victory as believers in Christ. So I, Paul, brethren, fellow believers in Christ, could not speak to you believers in Corinth as I would speak to spiritual persons. And who are spiritual persons? Those with the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit. In other words, believers in Christ. He says, I can't talk to you like you're believers in Christ. Well, why is that, Paul? But I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, those without the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, unbelievers, as if I'm speaking to infants in union with Christ. Why does he have to talk to us like we're infants in union with Christ? Because we're behaving like children and not like adults. And we definitely talk to children differently than we talk to adults. And that's what Paul's saying. So what Paul is doing here. It's kind of punching them in the face, and we'll talk about it as we look at verse by verse. 1 Corinthians 3, 2. I, give you, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to digest solid food. Why? Because you're being childish. Indeed, even now you're not yet able to digest solid food. Why is that, Paul? For you are still acting as if you're fleshly. You're acting like unbelievers. For since there keeps on being jealousy and strife persisting among you, continuous action, are you not fleshly? Aren't you acting like unbelievers? In other words, being selfish. And are you not walking, that is, living a lifestyle like mere men, as if you're not spirit-filled persons? And yes, a lot of believers in Christ live lives as if they're not spirit-filled. Why? Because they forgot that they have a relationship with God. Because the thing that reminds you that you have a relationship with God is the Word of God. I have people uh, always asking me, Rory, why do you start the lesson the same way and end the the lesson the same way every lesson? Why do you start by reminding us that Jesus Christ is God? And then why do you end the lesson by telling the gospel message? Well, it's easy. I like it when you guys get bored and roll your eyes up in your head. That's why I do it. No, I do it because you forget. 
you spend two hours a week here. If you're really cool and do what I say, you should listen to the lesson three times. So six hours of your 168 hours a week, you spend taking in the Word of God. You got 168 hours a week. You sleep 56 of it. And I know you guys, you're probably sleeping like 70, 80. Y'all's late. Y'all are lazy, amen? So a hundred of your hours are spent in the kingdom of death and darkness. You're listening to the news. What are they telling you? You're getting old, you're going to die. When you hit 65, you ought to retire. Even though you're probably going to live to be 90, you ought to sit around for the next 25 years and do nothing. That's what the world is telling you. And so you get 100, and, 100 hours of that a week, and you forget that God has a plan for your life, and it is not for you to retire, nor is it for you to sit around, nor is it for you to dream about that day when you're in a walker, you know, then you're finally going to get your life together and travel. He wants you doing all that stuff now. Amen? But no, we're putting our life off. I'm going to start Monday. You know, why did I start losing weight two days before Halloween? Because this was going to be the year that I was not going to wait until January. I was not going to lie to myself again. Because as we always do, in January I'll start. You ain't starting nothing in January. And if you start in January, you're going to end it by January 15th. Amen? So let's stop lying to ourselves. God has amazing things planned for us. But there are a lot of us as, as believers in Christ that act like unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 3, 4. For when one of you says, I'm of Paul, and another of you says, I'm of Apollos, are you not acting like mere men? Aren't you acting like unbelievers who thrive on divisions and rivalries? Those of you who used to study systematic theology with me, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, Rory's my right pastor teacher. He's my right pastor teacher, but all the other teachers, they don't know what they're doing. And we have one of the teachers, one of the few teachers in the whole world that's teaching the accurate uh, Bible doctrine. What a bunch of crap. What a bunch of crap. It's like the people who were running that scam never, never studied 1 Corinthians. Because it's clearly recommending that we don't do that, that it's not about the teachers. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What, what then is Apollos? And what then is Paul? We are servants through whom you came to believe, just as the Lord gave the opportunity to believe to everyone through the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one causing the spiritual growth. So Paul goes into a field analogy because he was talking to agriculture people who knew. Every time we talk about agriculture, Larry gets a little weepy. He goes back to his, you know, his roots as a farmer. <laughs> I remember when I used to grow corn and stuff like that. This is so good. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth is everything. 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. They're in unity because each is a member of the body of Christ, and the members of the body of Christ have different functions but each will receive his own individual reward according to his own work. God is looking at what you do as laborers, and he is going to reward your work. 
And the question you have to ask yourself is, is there anything that you're doing that is rewardable? I'll tell you, watching Netflix ain't one of those things <laughs> that's rewardable, amen? Oh, y'all got a subscription, too. And some of you aren't using one of the subscriptions. Could I get that? <laughs> like, if you, you know, because if you get Netflix, you can have three people on. Could I get one of those? Because I don't have it, and I want to watch a program on there. 1 Corinthians 3, nine. For we, Apollos and I, this is Paul talking, are co-workers under God's direction. You are God's cultivation. That's what you do with a field. You are God's construction. And in the middle of this, he's going to shift to a building analogy from, a, from an agriculture analogy because there are a lot of people who understood what buildings were all about in this first century. 1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul, as a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation with the gospel message, and then another teacher comes along and builds upon it. So he laid the gospel message down. I, as a pastor teacher, come along and build on top of the gospel message. But each person, that is each teacher, must be careful how he builds on the foundation. I told you before, I was lying to you about some stuff. Right? That is not the kind of thing that God wants me doing. Why was I doing that? Because I thought systematic theology was it. And before that, I thought Roman Catholicism was it. Right? Well, they ain't. And we all go through that in our lives, that we all get sucked in by false teachers and false teaching, and we have to keep looking for the truth, relentlessly pursuing truth to, to sort out what is deception and what is real. That's our job as individuals. So, according to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul, as a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation with the gospel message, and another teacher is building on it, but each person, each teacher must be careful how he builds on the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which has already been laid, the foundation known as Jesus Christ. Every person in the history of mankind will meet Jesus Christ face-to-face one day. And you will meet him at one of two places. You will meet him at the judgment seat of Christ, where believers go for rewards, or you will meet him at the last judgment, which is the last thing that happens to you before you go to the lake of fire. In neither of those places will your sins be mentioned. See, when I was a Roman Catholic, that was what I was worried about. I was worried that God was adding up all my sins on a calculator, and then when I died, he was going to spit them all back into my face. That is not how he operates. That is not how he operates. He will never operate that way. Because if he operated that way, then what was the point of him going to the cross to pay for our sins? There's no purgatory. You need an additional cleansing of sin. No, you don't. What he did at the cross, what did he say on the cross? It is finished. Salvation is finished once and for all time, and there's nothing else, you see. So what is he going to be evaluating at the judgment seat of Christ and at the great white throne judgment? Work. Work, singular, deeds, but work. The work you have done. So you better ask yourself, <laughs> that's A-X, you better ask yourself, 
If you're a believer in Christ, what are you doing with your spiritual gift? What's the work you're doing with your spiritual gift? Because he expects you to do something. But he expects you to prepare first and then do something with the gift. So many of you are in the preparation phase. 1 Corinthians 3.12. Now, if any person, a teacher, builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, that is, with valuable biblical messages that are not flammable, or if any person, a teacher, builds on the foundation with wood, hay, and straw, with worldly messages, and of course, he does, many do, 1 Corinthians 3.13, the quality of each teacher's work will become evident, for the day of judgment will show the value of the work, because the value of the work is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will reveal the quality of each teacher's work. 1 Corinthians 3.14, and if any man's work which he's built on the foundation remains, and for some it will, he will receive an award, a reward. 1 Corinthians 3.15, if any man's work is burned down, and for some it will be, he will suffer a loss of reward, but he will be saved. Yet only in this way, as if he escaped through fire. Right? You'll be standing around watching the fire of your work that is no good burn, and you're going to have a lot of soot on your face. Amen? Now, with June, you're not going to be able to see the soot because she's kind of dark anyway, right? But that's what happens. (laughs) Yuck, yuck. Negroes have such an advantage. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know? And you know, whenever Paul says, do you not know, he's asking you a question. Are you ignorant? Do you not know that all of you believers in Christ, all, all of you being plural there, do you not know that all of you believers in Christ in the congregation at Corinth are a temple of God the Father and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? You, every one of you, is a temple who are a believer in Christ. There are no special buildings in this age. You're the building. And God is the one building you. 1 Corinthians 3.17 And if any man, a pastor teacher, destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you believers in Christ are, holy. You see, if I continue to teach false truth, imagine if I found out that I was teaching you false stuff and I didn't admit it to you and I kept teaching you that, that would not go well for me. That's what that verse says. Amen? Because God's watching your soul. It's my job to watch your soul, but he's really the one accountable for watching your soul, and he is, and he will get you to the right teacher. And fortunately for you, that's me. Amen? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen is not laughing. I want to hear the word. (laughs) All right. So what is Paul talking about in this part of the passage? Let's study the passage verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And so I, Paul, brethren, fellow believers in Christ, could not speak to you, Corinthian believers, as I would speak to spiritual persons, those with the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, believers in Christ, but I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, those without the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, unbelievers, as if I'm speaking to infants 
in union with Christ. Now, Paul is using a maternal analogy here because what do moms do for babies? Moms give babies milk. And they're not condescending when they do that. So Paul's not being condescending here. But he does make a shift from the subtlety of his attack against the Corinthian church in chapters 1 and 2 to a direct rebuke. And what is a direct rebuke? It is disapproval of the conduct of believers in the Corinthian church. Just like last week's lesson, and the title of this lesson was a direct rebuke to you about your relationships and how you tolerate divisions and rivalries in your own relationships. This is firm disapproval. Conduct that causes divisions and rivalries is not okay with God. His message of truth, Paul's message of truth, was a slap in the face for the arrogant believers in Corinth who thought that they were better than others in the church because of their social status or because of their wealth. There were the haves and the have-nots in the Corinthian church, and the haves thought they were better than the have-nots, just like people who live in Scottsdale think they're better than people who live in Mesa, right? They call it ghetto. Mesa is not ghetto, and God certainly does not look at it that way. These arrogant believers thought that they were mature and spiritual, and you remember earlier in chapter 2, he was talking about how everybody who thinks they're mature and spiritual are being shamed by people who are the lesser in society. Why would God make me a pastor? He took a ghetto boy, a nobody from nowhere, And has had me on a 20-year journey to grow up so that he's going to do something with me later. I don't know what it is, but I think it has a lot to do with that impact center that we're going to build. And the money for that is going to start coming in this year. Amen? You, You know, you guys say amen. You better be ready. Because there's a core of us who's going to take that center and really make it happen. And you're going to be working. You're going to be tired. You're going to probably quit if you don't want to work that hard. But we got a lot of work to do. Fatherless boys, vets, the elderly, single moms, husbands, married couples, ministries to them. That's what's coming up in our lives. And he took a nobody to make that occur. And when that center goes up, everybody's like, what is that? And Pastor who? What has he done? I mean, he's not Joel Osteen. Yeah, I know. I opened the Bible. (laughs) That's right. I'm not Joel Osteen. I know what's in here. If somebody asks me how they get to heaven, I'm not going to say, well, gee, Larry, I don't know. You know, I can't. The God knows your heart. I don't read a verse right out of here about what it says to get to heaven. You're going to hear more about that later. So the truth is always considered brutal honesty by those who don't want to hear the truth. It's not Paul's desire to be mean here in this first verse. He just wants them to wake up so they discontinue the divisiveness and the rivalries that are separating them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to digest solid food. Indeed, even now you're not yet able to digest solid food, for you are still acting as if you are fleshly, acting like unbelievers. 
For since there keeps on being jealousy and strife persisting among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not acting like unbelievers, being selfish? And are you not walking, living a lifestyle like mere men, as if you weren't spirit-filled people? Paul is describing people who are acting like children, even though they are in adult bodies. These are people who are spiritual royalty. You, as a believer in Christ, are spiritual royalty, and you are not to act like hoodlums. You know, I think it's Prince William. You know, he married that American girl, and now he's running away from his royal status. Amen? That's what most believers in Christ have done. They're spiritual royalty, and they're running away from their royal status. Now, I can't say that I blame him, but, you know, I mean, his wife is fine, and he's listening to her. But that is disturbing to the monarchy. And so there are real-life examples of this. We're not to act like hoodlums when we're spiritual royalty. These are people in the Corinthian church who are being controlled by their feelings instead of being controlled by God the Holy Spirit. These new believers are rejecting their spiritual growth. They're not listening to the Word of God. They're listening to worldly messages. And they resemble uncontrollable, uncontrolled unbelievers in their actions. When you see a believer in Christ, what ought to be manifest in their conduct is God the Holy Spirit. We ought to be an exact reflection of God, not through any work on our own, but through the Word of God going through us and out. How does that look? When there are people in our family and we have rivalries, we are sending unconditional love to them. We may not like them. There are a lot of people in our family, let's be frank, that are unlikable. But we can still have unconditional love toward them. God doesn't like it that unbelievers are rejecting the gospel message. He doesn't like it that they're rejecting heaven. That is not his desire for them, but he still loves them unconditionally. And when they're in the lake of fire, he's going to be loving them unconditionally. In fact, creation of the lake of fire was a demonstration of unconditional love because he made a place where people who want nothing to do with them can live. And you look in the book of Revelation, it says, and no place was found for them to live. When the earth and the universe, as we know it, are blown up, and just before the new earth and the new universe are created, unbelievers, there will be no place found for them to live. And God didn't want that to happen. He loved them so unconditionally that he created a place for them to live. That's not cool. That place is not cool. That's not a place that I would wish on my worst enemy, amen? But at least it's some place to live. What Paul is not saying here, for those of you who are of systematic theology fame, is that there are baby believers and mature believers. God does not look at people that way. He does not make that distinction. He looks at all of us as the same. He is not complicated. He has only one way of looking at a thing, he has only one way of doing things. His believers are all the same in his eyes. A homeless believer and the wealthiest believer on the earth, God sees them exactly the same way. Do you? <laughs> you don't. You walk by the homeless guy, you grabbing on yourself. You know, like he's going to take your coat off. He ain't going to take your coat off. He's looking for some cash. You just need to keep the cash right there. When you see him, just take the cash out and hand it. 
reflect the Lord. Now, women, you might not want to do that because I understand there are safety concerns for women, right? Walking up to strange people and giving them stuff. But you can find other ways to do it that are safe. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. When one of you says, I am of Paul, and another of you says, I am of Apollos, are you not acting like mere men, unbelievers who thrive on divisions and rivalries? Paul's asking the believers in Corinth to be above rivalries. He wants them to see things as God sees things, that all believers are equal, and that all of us are on the same team. Well, we return from our five-minute break. We'll take your offering, and then we'll see what else Paul has to say about adults who act like children. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, will all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody We're trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Nobody, nobody, trying to tell everybody. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, are you a child in an adult body? Are you a child in an adult body? Well, this year is the year when members of Barah Ministries need to change their giving game. We need to find gifts from generous organizations that allow us to redirect their generosity to a whole new set of ministries, serving new people within our community and outside of our community, teaching people how to live the lives that God intends for them. And as Barah Ministries members, we need to give in ways that threaten our very existence, knowing in faith that God will care for us no matter what. See, that's why I think a lot of Christians are really scared to give, because they, they, they just are in this mental mindset that God's not going to take care of them. God is going to take care of you. If you're generous... And whether you're generous or not, he's always generous with you. But when you're generous, he's even more generous with you. So you need to get that. You need to experience that. And so let faith, not comfort, direct your generosity this year. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Denny Goodall. I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries, a worldwide Christian church where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And today, this lesson title is great because my wife and I have been struggling with this since we've started having kids. 
you know, because we don't want to raise kids that are, you know, adults with the kid's soul. And it's just a constant battle, and it really beats you up, and it makes you think, you know, um, you know, where where do these kids get this this stubbornness? Where do they get this side of them that just does not want to, you know, cooperate with what we're saying? They want to compete with each other, and they want to just fight all the time, and not in a bad way. They're cute and adorable, but you know, they start button heads, and it just goes from there. And it's interesting, you know, you look at the Bible, and it, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen. We do not lose heart. We don't give up. For even though our outer man, the physical body, is decaying, our inner man, the spiritual life, is being renewed day by day. And we don't think of that last part, the day by day, the renewing going on. But when you think of the, our bodies, we think of the decaying. We see it here in our own church, a lot of us getting older. I'm getting older. I'm over 40 now, and my shoulder hurts, and my knee hurts when I get up. And I'm starting to focus on that decay and not thinking about the renewing. And, you know, when did that decaying start? And really it starts... As children, decaying is a corruption. They're just as corrupt as children as we are now. It doesn't grow. They never talk about corruption growing like spiritual growth. You know, and they have that. They're, they're just as crazy as we are right now. They're just as stubborn. I'll tell them not to do something. They'll look, me right, at, look right at me and do it <laughs> and not feel any remorse. I wish I could have, still have that. You know, I feel bad. You know, get older, you start getting remorse for what you do wrong or the decay you have. And, um, but we see in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen, for this momentary light in weight affliction, suffering that's relatively easy to bear, is producing for us believers in Christ an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So that struggle that we have as parents, it's worth it. That struggle we have as a church, this body of Christ, is worth it. You know, this body we have is decaying as a body of Christ. This group we have here, it's come and gone it's grown and and shrunk and grown and shrunk and it'll grow again we have to focus on that that second part the renewing this body will be renewed our personal bodies and our spiritual body this group believers and it's all worth it the extra toil and the extra fighting and the extra fight we have to do each day either with our kids to get them on the right track or with this church or with believers to get them on the right track and it's interesting to think i pastor mentioned religion he mentioned um, roman catholicism and it kind of makes you focus on self, which is what children do. They focus on self all the time. They don't focus on others. And so pastor's thinking, I'm a Roman Catholic and I'm sinning. Oh, God's going to add that one up. He's adding that one up. And what are you doing? You're focused on yourself. You're not going to help anybody in that, in that kind of cycle. You're focusing on, oh, he's going to count that up. Oh, that's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. That one's really bad. And then you just focus on self. And when, he made a great point. It's, it's not self-focused or other-focused. It's self-focused or um, um, spirit-focused. Because if you're focused on the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then others are in view. Others will, will be part of your plan. If you focus on God, then it's easy to help others. It's easy to have that 10 in your pocket and give to somebody when they need it. And, you know, it's funny how religion will beat us down and work will beat us down and parenting will beat us down. We just need to remember we do not lose heart. We don't give up. For even though our outer man, the physical body, is decaying, our inner man, the spiritual life, is being renewed day by day. So that's why we come here each, each week, and that's why we give to the, this ministry, is so that others can be renewed, others can focus on that plan, and others can get in touch with the Spirit and have the Spirit within them to know that they're a temple. We're all temples. And that's why we, we appreciate God and we give, because we know that our temple is worth it, and then giving other people that, that temple is worth it. And so... 
let's help, like Pastor said, let's change our giving this year. Let's be spirit-focused instead of self-focused. And I know for me, it's hard. I'm, I'm self-focused all the time. And I know for my kids, it's hard. They're self-focused all the time. But that's m- my wife and I's chores, to get them to think spirit-focused and think about others. And it's not easy to do. It's not. It's never easy because bills come first. And, you know, the flat tire in the car, the leaky roof. I just had a leaky roof. Spent a bunch of money there. And it's hard to give to church after that. But really what matters, my leaky roof or one spiritual life of somebody? And that, that really matters more. That's how Christ would see it. He wouldn't care about my roof. He would care about the homeless guy that needs that 10 bucks and needs to know about the gospel. And so thank you, Pastor, for always giving us the gospel at the end because it's such a tool to use, and we need to use it. We need to use it as much as we can. And thank you all for your consistent giving and making this your home because, you know, it's, it's really easy to be self-focused, but let's be spirit-focused. Thank you. Today's Bible lesson, are you a child in an adult body? Are you a child in an adult body? Well, one of these days soon, Deacon Denny is going to send his kids over to my house, and I'm going to take care of them for a week or so, and then he, they're going to go back to his house, and then I'm going to get a call about an hour after they get back, and he's going to ask, uh, Pastor Roy, just a question. I mean, no big deal. Why is it that William has this big hickey knot on the right side of his head? And all I'm going to say is I think you know. Because <laughs> my kids' behavior was perfect. And there were two reasons hickey knots on their head and bamboo on their booty. Amen? That gets their attention. It's amazing. 
All right, so let's hear some music. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we learn that we have a God that we can count on. He says this, Stop worrying about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition for self with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. All prayer directed to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father meaning he doesn't have anything against you, which transcends our ability to even comprehend, will be a garrison to your hearts and to your minds for those of you who are in union with Christ Jesus, and that's believers in Christ. So when you count on God, he gives you a peace that you can't even imagine. This is so calming to your soul. God's peace floods the troubled soul on request. Well, here's Casting Crowns to sing about him in their song, God of All My Days. I came to you with my heart in pieces and found the God with healing in his hands I look to you drowning in my questions and found the God who holds all wisdom and I trusted you and stepped out on the ocean you caught my hand among the waves cause you're the God of all my days Each step I take You make a way And I will give you all my praise My seasons change You stay the same You're the God
Are you a child in an adult body? Are you a child in an adult body? Welcome back. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. All right, so first four verses. I can't talk to you like I talk to spiritual persons because you're acting like children, so I have to talk to you like children. I can't give you solid food. I have to give you milk. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. You, you are focused on the pastors that you have. And as we said earlier in this chapter, Christ hasn't been divided into component parts. So who, what then is Apollos? And what then is Paul? We are servants, doulos, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week service to the Lord. That's what servants are. We are servants through whom you came to believe just as the Lord gave the opportunity to believe to everyone through the gospel message. Whosoever believes shall be saved. Paul and Apollos are not competitive. They are cooperative. Rivalries are centered on being competitive with others. Paul and Apollos are in unity, each with a single task. Husbands and wives, stop being competitive with each other. Single task is one of the things that drives me crazy about married couples. You go out to dinner with them, and they're sitting there. Well, I'm better than you because of this. And you didn't do this. And all this blame game going back and forth. The two become one flesh. Quit the blame game. Who cares whose fault it was? When two people are one, and there's a blame to be laid, it's laid on both of you. Relationships are that way. Stop blaming. That's a rivalry. That's division. That is not God's plan for us when we interact with each other. It's just not. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I, Paul, planted. I planted the seeds in the field. Apollos watered the seeds in the field. But God was the one who caused the harvest. God was the one who caused the spiritual growth. I've told you that a lot of times. You know, I evangelized to Pastor Far- John Farley. And then he became a believer in Christ from a Roman Catholic, and then he became a pastor. I want to take credit. Look what I did. Ooh. I can't take credit. Credit. I did the planting. I did the watering. But God caused the pastor. He's the one who caused the growth, not me. I don't get any credit for that. To God be the glory. Amen? Thank you for doing that. 
for Pastor Farley. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. We're nobodies. That's why we play that song at the break. But God who causes the growth is everything. All of our successes are dependent on God. We don't like that. We don't like being dependent on anybody. I did it on my own. I want to do it on my own. I, that, when I hear that from people, I want to choke them. You know, all my coaching candidates, they always say, I, I, want, I want to learn how to do it on my own. Nobody does anything on their own. Michael Jordan had a coach. Michael Jordan was not good enough to win a championship. He was in the league for seven years with no championship. Why? Because he was doing it on his own. He was a great athlete, but he was a lousy basketball player. And as soon as he figured out, wow, there are actually five people on the court, not one. As soon as he figured that out, then he won six championships in the next eight years. Amen? You can't do it by yourself. All of our success is dependent on God. We are doulas. We are servants. We do the work that God asks us to do. We are all equal. God assigns the task. God causes the growth. God is something. We are nothing. All the glory of our work goes to God, not to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. Now he who plants the plow hand and he who waters the water boy, water boy, are one in unity because each is a member of the body of Christ. See, every one of you has a spiritual gift. Every one of you is a part of the body of Christ, and you are to contribute to this ministry with your gift. Some of you are fingers, some of you are toes, some of you are pains in the backside. But each one of you has a contribution to make, amen? amen. Yes, you know who the pain in the backside is, June. Don't be looking at me. You know who it is. Don't look at me. <laughs> But all the glory for our work goes to God, not to us. First Corinthians. Oh, did I finish eight? I didn't. So the one who plants, the plow hand, and he who waters are, are one in unity because each is a member of the body of Christ. But each will receive his own individual reward according to his work. So we work together, but we will receive individual rewards. First Corinthians 3, 9. For we, Apollos and I, are co-workers under God's direction. You are God's cultivation. What is God's cultivation? That's all about the gospel message. There is a mission field, and God is, is bringing up crop out of the mission field, and that's believers in Christ. Now, what is the plow hand without the water boy? You, you put the seeds in the ground, and you don't water them. They're not going to grow. Now Paul transitions from a field analogy to a building analogy because once you have grown in the field, once you've become a believer in Christ, now it's time to grow. So he, sh he shifts to a building analogy. And the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written. And the people of the first century church understood this building analogy, and you should understand it too. 1 Corinthians 3.10 According to the grace of God, which was given to me, Paul, as a skilled master builder, notice Paul is saying, my skill doesn't come from me, it comes from God. I laid a foundation, the gospel message. I took what was given to me, the gospel message, and I told it to everybody else. And another teacher is building on it. Now, after I gave you the gospel message, the gospel message was given to me. 
I gave it to Pastor Rory. Now Pastor Rory's giving it to you. Now you give it to other people. That's how the system works. But each person, each teacher has to be careful how he builds on the foundation. In other words, if I'm giving you a false gospel message, guess what you're going to do? You're going to tell other people a false gospel message. That's why I get double blessing, but I also get double pops in the head. Because I can lead you right over the cliff. And that's what a lot of teachers are doing. The Corinthian believers are choosing to glorify their teachers. So Paul uses teachers as an example. Teachers are from God. They do nothing from the source of themselves. They are servants of God, dependent on God, assigned by God, and God uses their work. Teachers are nothing in and of themselves. God causes their work to grow. God gets the glory. God rewards the teacher's work. God produces the harvest of souls. Wonder why Barah Ministries is small? Read the story about Gideon. He started out with, what, 30,000 guys and had to attack a group. God whittled that group down to 35 people. That's the way God works. We, we have been 250 people, 300 people, whittled all down to about 20. 20 here and maybe 20 in the non-resident congregation. He's, he's still plucking all the weeds out of this garden. Amen? To get it down to a group of people who can do exactly what he wants done. And that's what I appreciate about you guys. We're on the same page. I don't feel divisions and rivalries in this church. Now, some of you may be good scam artists. Some of you may be hiding. We'll find that out. But I don't think so. We're on each other's side. I love the way we interact with each other. Love it. Trust you. It's amazing. God is producing a harvest of souls here. God is the one who causes the teacher's work to grow. God rewards the teacher's work. God produces a harvest. And you're going to see it. When we open that center, we're going to have 200, 300 people a week. I'm going to have to do two lessons. But what we're not going to have is we're not going to have concerts. And we're not going to have divor- divorce ministries. And we're not going to have, this is not going to be a social club. This is going to be a place where you could come and learn the word of God. Amen? Right? We got guests today. You guys need to come here for eight weeks. Because I said something to, to make you crazy today. All right? But you got to listen to a message over a period of time and see what's happening. When you look at those notes which you take with you, Half of those notes are Bible verses. And those Bible verses have things in parentheses that let you understand what's in there. Compare that to what you read in a Bible. And then you see if you understand that better than you understand what the Bible is saying. Because that's what pastors do. We help you understand what's there. We don't have to add anything to the Bible. That's it. That's what we do. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which has already been laid, the foundation known as Jesus Christ. People are always asking me, Rory, what's going to be your legacy? My legacy is going to be that nobody remembers that I was even here. I don't have a legacy. Jesus Christ has a legacy. It was my pleasure to, that he allowed me to be part of it. Don't remember my name. Don't have a funeral. Don't have a memorial service. Have a memorial service in your heart. And cremate me. 
Amen. It's fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> we trying to buy our brother a casket. That's fifteen thousand dollars. I'm cheap even in death. Amen. <laughs> right on. So the work <laughs> the work of teachers varies in quality, but it has to be centered on Christ, not the pastor. And that's why, you know, you guys used to call me Pastor Rory. Oh, Pastor. Pastor Rory, Pastor, Pastor. And I said, you don't have to call me Pastor Rory. Just call me Rory. Pastor Rory went away like that, right? Because we're all the same. It's just we have different spiritual gifts. That's all. My gift happens to be standing up in front of you, which is God's sense of humor for an introvert. Because I don't want to be at the front of the room. But I always am. And I go home and get on the couch and sleep all afternoon because I'm tired from being up in front. 1 Corinthians 3.12. Now, if any person, this is a teacher again, continuing the teacher analogy, builds on the foundation. What foundation? Christ and the gospel message and God the Holy Spirit. With gold, silver, and precious stones, which are valuable biblical messages. It ain't about megachurches, and it ain't about concerts, and it ain't about, oh, we had 1,500 people at our service this week. Yeah, one of my buddies who goes to one of the megachurches says, oh, man, you should have seen the Christmas service. We had 1,500 people. I said, no way. Yeah, 1,500 people. And then we had to have three services. Oh, man, were you at all three services? Yeah, it was. Oh, it was so great. You can't even believe it. Yeah, what was the message? Huh? What was the message? Huh? Is it, you hear me. What was the message? He didn't know the message. He was at three services and doesn't know the message. You know why? Because his church is a marketing event for him. He's in real estate, and he hands out his cards. That's not what we're at church for. What was this message? Is me asking you if you're a child in an adult body. What did we study? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 17, verse by verse. When you go to church, if you leave and you don't know that, there's something wrong. So if any teacher builds on a foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, things that endure, or if any person, a teacher, builds on the foundation with wood, hay, and straw, concerts, worldly messages, divorce ministries, and of course he does. 1 Corinthians 3.13. The quality of each person's work Note the singular, work not works, will become evident. For the day of judgment will show the value of the work, because the value of the work is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will reveal the quality of each man's work. Fire in the Bible is always about judgment. All right, Gold, silver, and precious stones represents the gospel message. Is the pastor teaching an enduring true message that points to Christ as the only way to heaven? A teacher who builds a ministry with an accurate gospel message is building an enduring ministry. Those teachers who build with wood, hay, and straw, with worldly messages, build with inferior materials that do not stand the test of time. Hi, uh, hi, Lord, I'm here in front of you. I'm a believer in Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, awesome. What do you know about me? What do you mean? (laughs) What do you know about me? Well, I mean, the church I went to, we were big. We had a lot of concerts. And we sang, man, we were holding our hand in the air, waving. It was awesome. 
Yeah, but what did you learn about me? Um, I don't know. I mean, you're God. Good. Believing in you, you'll be saved. Good. What else? That's pretty much it. What do you know about God? He's just, he's righteous, he's sovereign, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. He's unconditional love. He's immutable. He never changes. He is veracity. He always tells the truth. He's eternal. He forgives you. He's graceful. We know everything about him. And we just keep learning more about him. Because that's what this is about. Gospel message and then growing grace and then the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our charge is really simple. So, those teachers who are building with wood, hay, and straw, with worldly messages, are building inferior structures in your soul. So here's the, the problem. Fire tests the quality of a building. You want to know if you got a, a nice house? Light a match. And throw it on one of your mattresses. You'll find out real quick how, how sturdy your house is. <laughs> My house would be burned down in like 10 minutes. Fire at the last judgment will test the quality of a teacher's work. Fire will test the quality of your work. If the building does not burn down, it was constructed well. See, that's what, at the judgment seat of Christ, that's what God is going to have me do. He's going to have me introduce you guys, and he's going to ask me, what did you put in this person's soul? (laughs) I'm I'm just going to be honest. God... Why are you asking me that? You gave me the slow learner group. I did not ask for that. that. <laughs> this is your fault. If they don't know nothing, it's your fault. Because I didn't ask for none of them. <laughs> now, rewards are payments for God's, from God for the work that endures. So if you want to test the quality of your Christian life, test it with the work you're doing to change lives. In quality, not quantity. You know, I I admire Larry and Pat. Because Larry and Pat took care of June when June couldn't take care of herself. They did not have to do that. They gave of themselves. They did something that I wouldn't even do. Amen? Quality work. Quality work. That's what God's looking for. Quality work. Does your spiritual work make a difference? Are you using your spiritual gift? That's really the question. Or will your work make smoke? (laughs) 1 Corinthians 3.14. If any man's work which he's built on the foundation remains, gold, silver, and precious stones, he'll get a reward. And if any man's work is burned down, and for some it will be, he will suffer a loss of reward, but he will be saved. You don't lose your salvation once you have it. John 10, 28, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the unconditional love of God, which comes from being in union with Christ Jesus. At the moment you believed in Christ, He placed you in union with Christ, and you cannot get out. And anybody tells you you can lose your salvation is lying to you. The Bible says different in a lot of places. The quality of our work matters to God. There is Christ, 
There is the gospel message. Listen to the foundation. There is Christ. There is the gospel message. You are saved. There is the Holy Spirit. There is the word of God. There is sanctification. There are teachers, servants, who are the spokespersons for the foundation. There's you. You are congregation members. There is your spiritual gift. There is your work. That's the pancakes. Now, make it with almond flour. Don't be making it with regular white flour because that'll make you fat. Amen? Amen. (laughs) So the question you ask yourself is, how's the quality of your work? Here's finishing it up. Do you not know? Are you ignorant? Do you not know that all of you believers in Christ in the congregation at Corinth are a temple of God the Father and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? And if any man, any pastor, teacher, attempts to destroy a temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you believers in Christ are, holy. You don't even know that. If you don't know it, you weren't paying attention to me. But at the moment of salvation, God made you holy, believers in Christ. And once he gives you something, you can't lose it. You are holy. Oh, but I sin. How can I be holy? Because God said so. And that's why you look at things from God's perspective and not yours, because you love beating yourself up. I can't believe I made a mistake. I can't believe I sinned. Oh, my goodness. God's mad at me. He's disappointed with me. What part of un, the un and unconditional love, don't you understand? Un means no conditions. He's not mad at you. He's never been disappointed with you. He never will be. Amen? Amen? Now, what destroys a temple? Divisions and rivalries. Adults acting like children. What else destroys a temple? Teachers with worldly messages. Success in the Christian way of life and success in the Christian way of living does not depend on man. It depends on God. God provides everything for us to grow and to prosper. God rewards our effort. God rewards our work. So what is the folly of rivalries? Here we go to the end. It's me or you. That's competitiveness. I did the right thing, husband, but you did the wrong thing. No. It's me and you. You know, when, when our, my kids used to fall down, my wife would run to them. Oh, poor baby, come here. Oh, petting their head. Right? That's fantastic. Women are so great at compassion. That's fantastic. When they were with me, They fall down. I said, get up. Get up. You don't have to cry. Get up. All right, that's man energy. In comes, whoa. Zachary was playing football one time. He's on the one-yard line. He's a halfback. He dives over the pile. This guy just just pounded him, hit him in the arm. It was a stinger. You know, his arm was like that. Zachary walks off the field. He takes his helmet off. And I was that parent. Uh, Is it broken? Get your helmet back on. Get back in the game. Oh, the mom's looking around. You mean, you're so mean. No, it's man energy. What do kids need? Both. They need man energy and they need compassion. Not one. It's and, not or. The kids who have all compassion, they're weak. 
week. And we got way too many of them today. Amen? Some of these kids, I yell at them, you know, when I'm teaching them how to sell, yell at them and they go crying to the, the corporate psychologist. He was mean to me. He said mean things. So rivalries. God wants us to be reconciled in our relationships. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ and all believers in Christ are in union with Christ, there is a new creation. The old self things passed away. They died at the cross. Behold, new self things have come. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all these things are from God the Father who reconciled us. He repaired a broken relationship, reconciled us to himself through Christ at the cross and his shed blood and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He expects us to be reconciled to people too. Namely, that God the Father was in union with Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And how did he do that? By not counting their trespasses against them. Why doesn't God the Father count your sins against you? Because Jesus Christ paid for them at the cross. And if he hadn't, you'd have had to pay for them, and the place you'd have paid for them is in the lake of fire. But God made a way for that not to occur. And the Father has committed to us believers in Christ the word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? The gospel message is the word of reconciliation. Pop that up there, Deacon Denny. Now, my question to close up is this. Are you having rivalries and divisions in your relationship? If you are, and I know everyone in here is, Because I know you personally. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So if you're having rivalries and divisions in your relationships, in prayer, you'd be wise to ask God to do the work of reconciliation in your life. Why? Because you stink at it. (laughs) Right? Did I reconcile myself to my two sons who were not talking to me for four years when I was the most amazing father in the world? Did I reconcile that? Did I fix that? God did that for me. I just had to stay out of the way. Amen? Maybe you and your brother don't get along. God will fix that. Amen? Believe me, he'll fix it. Now, it may not be until that that brother of yours gets in the hospice. But if they're breathing, it's not too late. Amen? Amen? Maybe one of your kids has lost their mind. God will fix that. You don't have to. Because he's great at reconciliation. He reconciled the whole world to himself. Why are we so bad at the reconciliation of divisions? Because we don't forgive. We don't do the things that we have control over. And forgiveness is something that we have control over. We don't control others, but we do control ourselves. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24 say this. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother, because anger comes before murder, shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court of heaven. 
And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Matthew 5.23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and while you're at the altar, you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Where do you get this reconciliation? In your heart. It doesn't always have to occur physically. It's in your heart. Let go of the grievances that you have against your brothers. Now, it's clear throughout the Bible that God is not a fan of divisions and rivalries. And that's what Paul is talking about in this very long passage. He is a fan of unity. He placed us into unity moment of salvation. And unity begins with attitude. And the right attitude includes an attitude of right foundation, which is Christ, an attitude of equality, which is we're all the same, and an attitude of the right direction, taking our guidance from God the Holy Spirit. Are you feeling me? Say amen if you're feeling me. All right, let's close with this. The closing moments of our study are for anyone who, is, who does not have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we want you to know that God wants you. Well, I've got some bad news for you. The bad news is that all of us are born in a state of unrighteousness. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers. It is not our fault, but it is our circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. But in the face of this bad news, there is good news. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, provides a way for you to be saved. The good news is preached in what Christians call the gospel message. Let's see what happened when the gospel was preached in a prison in first century Rome. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God from their jail cells, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were evangelizing. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house was shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer, a prison guard, awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why? Because allowing prisoners to escape carried a penalty of instant execution for prison guards, and this guy was going to do it himself. He was not going to wait for the Roman authorities. Acts 16:28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying to the guard, Do not harm yourself. For we are all here. We are not trying to escape. Acts 16, 29. And the jailer called for the lights to be turned on, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, 30. And after the prison guard brought Paul and Silas out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is so cool. Acts 16, 31. The guard had obviously been listening to the spiritual songs Paul and Silas were singing. And so what did Paul and Silas say to him? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. There are no works of any kind necessary to be saved. It is simply faith 
expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone that is the ticket to eternal life. Acts 16.32. And Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord, the gospel message, the good news to the jailer, together with all the people who were in his house. Acts 16.33. And the jailer took Paul and Silas that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately the jailer was baptized, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not getting dunked in water. He and all his household who also believed, and they all did. Acts 16.34, And the jailer brought Paul and Silas into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his whole household. How did our jailer friend get saved? Well, in a crisis, he needed a savior. And he asked someone who knew what it took to be saved. Believers in Christ presented the accurate gospel message, and the jailer did exactly what was suggested. So don't wait for a crisis to be saved. Do it now. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and then he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's what makes him different for all, from all the pretender gods according to the scriptures. So it's bad news if you choose not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 20 say this, For the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and, and against the unrighteousness of men, unbelievers, who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident inside of them. For God the Father made it evident to them from inside of them. For since the creation of the world, God's eternal power, God's divine nature, have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood even through what has been made in nature, God's creative work, so that all mankind is without excuse before God. God makes himself clearly visible to human beings in ways that make sense to human beings, both from the inside of them and from the outside of them. Remember what Paul and Silas said to the jailer guard in Acts 16.31? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your house who also believes. So you simply accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of the good news. And I have a little book in the back that you're welcome to have. There are Bibles back there. There's music back there that you're welcome to have. This is also on the website in electronic form, and you will be saved. It tells the whole story, very simply, of how to be saved. The most important decision that you can make in your lifetime is the decision to believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It has eternal repercussions, and you will never regret believing in Jesus Christ. All right, we close with music. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, Describing believers in Christ, you believers in Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God the Father's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him 
who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As believers in Christ, we are possessions of God the Father. And here's June Murphy to sing about it in her song, Father, I'm Yours.
Thank you, June. It's really cool to be a wanted child. I was an unwanted child. Neither my neither of my parents wanted me when I got here. My mom got used to me. <laughs> she didn't have any choice. But it's really amazing to know that through all that, God wanted me all the time. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just are so grateful to you for bringing us here to earth. We're so grateful for you sending your son, Jesus Christ, to a cross to shed his blood so that we could be saved. We appreciate your grace that gives us the chance to learn by making mistakes. We appreciate your forgiveness, which does not count our sins against us. We, we appreciate your unconditional love because we know that as believers in Christ, we are your possession and you hold nothing against us, that you are developing us and conforming us to the image of your Son. And so as we go forth this week, we pray that we are an accurate reflection of you, your Son, and the Spirit. We pray that we take our direction from the Spirit, not from the world. We pray that we find people in our periphery who have not heard the good news about what you did, about the bad news of how we were born, and that we share information with them in the form of books or a piece of paper or a lesson or anything that can get people exposed to the message, that they can be saved. And we pray that we have compassion for the people around us and that we give to them without counting the costs, that we toil for you without seeking for rest, knowing that you always have our best interest in mind and that you will do everything for us to provide for us in every situation we're in. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.